was a little confused why you called them readers because we're a podcast and then I remembered we're a podcast about books and I was like oh yeah we're a podcast about books (laughs) (laughs) I am aware that there are people who listen to this podcast and don't read the books I don't mean those people (laughs) although honestly I do want to hear from them too (laughs) I want to hear what they think they're doing (laughs) not in a like we love you but what what appeals to you about this podcast Oh, that's good. Hope that makes it cut. That was funny. Hello, welcome back to Tortle Recall, or back for us. Don't know how long it's going to be since we've released the past episode. Um, Tortle Recall, uh, this is the podcast where we talk about the Tamora Pierce books and yell about them, both talking and yelling. Um, today, we'll be discussing Trickster's Queen. This will be our second part of our two-part episode on the book. Um, yeah, welcome. Now we're going to introduce ourselves. Also, we have a really good question that Grace thought of. Grace, do you want to tell us your question? Okay, so in our pre-episode discussion, we realized that this book, to our awareness, is the end of the Tortal timeline, uh, because other books came out after it, but take place before it. So my question for you all is, uh, if you were to pick a book or a book like character to follow after this in the timeline, who would you pick? All right. Aurora, did you say your name? Not yet, but we're going to go backwards. We're going to start with Shelby. Yeah, Shelby. Because she refused to change her name to get to the front of the order. <laughs> <laughs> um, hi, my name is still Shelby, despite waffling this morning. Um, and my pronouns are she, her. And uh, my answer, well, I, my answer comes in two parts. Um <laughs> The first part is my answer is definitely I want a book of court diplomacy, like just court diplomacy. This had a little mm-hmm. bit of it, but I want one that's like straight up court politics. Um, the only character I could think of uh, who would work for that was Callison, um, who we last saw at like 12 and engaged to Kadar. Um, so that would be okay. I would also take just like, I don't know, a random Karthaki noblewoman. Like that would also be fine. Mm-hmm. Didn't we get so we know that we know that Callison did not like try for knighthood. Who was the there was some character that we got like a prophecy about oh it was Neil. Neil's daughter is gonna try for knighthood. Right. <laughs> oh yeah, that's a good answer for sure. That wasn't actually my answer, but maybe I'm changing my answer to that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I'm next in backwards alphabetical order. <laughs> my name is Grace. My pronouns are she, her. And I would like to the next book to follow fan favorite, Mara of Dunlap. Is she still hanging out with Stormwings? Is she doing cool stuff? Probably. That is also a good person to do for, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what she's up to, but it seems like she could be a good person for doing like straight up like nobility politics type of stuff. Yeah, I mean, we have basically no idea what's up with her, like, so it would be cool. Mm -hmm. I just think she seems cool. Also, maybe she has the next generation. 
Um, hard to know based on the facts provided in the books, but <laughs> I mean, she is like twelve the last time we see her or something, right? Yeah. So what's she up to? I want to cool. know. I want to know. Uh oh, I'm next. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I'm Aurora. My pronouns are she/her. And if I had to pick a continuation character, it'd probably be like both. Uh, do you all remember Kara and Kurum? A yeah. lot of students in the. Yeah, yeah. I want to know, uh-huh. like, what's up with them? Like, are things changing now that we have these... It seemed like everything was really in flux when we left them last. Um, what are the... Like, how are the Bajir doing under John? Good answer. Yeah. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Abby! Yeah, well, now I'm I'm torn. My name is Abby. My pronouns are she, her. <laughs> My, like, initial thought when we posed this question was, would be a Khmer person because I want to know what's going on in that country. Oh, yeah. Because the last time we saw it was, like, when we met Thayet, and that was ages ago. But I'm, now I'm torn because I also really like the idea of Neil's daughter who becomes a knight, which I recognize we have had two stories already about girls who become knights. <laughs> more but knights, more knights. More this knights. Would, more you would knights. have Neil as a dad, and that would be great. And also, um, assuming that Neil actually marries and has children with Yuki, this would be a protagonist of color in Tortal, and that would be fun. No, that'd be good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it would be interesting to have a perspective on, like, you know, because we get so much of Kel as, like, a Yamani surrogate. It would be interesting to have, like, an actual sort of, like, third culture kid and having a perspective on, like, now that there's, like, Yamani royalty in Tortal, how's that going? That could be good. Yes. And you get good court politics. Yeah. yeah. I mean, but also, like, page training stuff for the third time, which I'm all in favor <laughs> of. Yeah, oh, I'm, yeah. Like, I'm just never going to get tired of that, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> like, even, like, I love Dane, but I was like, well, she's not in night school. <laughs> <laughs> she doesn't have to learn how to hold a lance. Jeez. <laughs> Here in Tortal Recall, we only want night school. Lances. That's it. <laughs> Maybe a sword. Horses. Very important. Oh, that's true. Dane does have a, a cheeky horse. A good horse, so that's yeah. Good. Mm-hmm. All right, now that our introductions are out of the way, it's time to jump right back in where we left off on our last episode, which will put us in the middle of Social Justice Corner. We, at our last episode, had just left off. We were discussing slavery. We're beginning to discuss uh, race, ETC, ETC, etc. Mm-hmm. in these books. Yeah. That's where we're at. Do you all remember one of the kind of big themes or something that kept coming up in the book was talk of when they started talking about what would look different under Dove's reign was the talk of uh, like reparations. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's a thing that I think. We should talk about. Yeah. That's also <laughs> a thing where they slightly, like, thread the needle with it, similar to how they were dealing with the, like, our, like how much murder are we going to do question. Um, right. <laughs> like, I think that, because they, they mentioned several times they're very clear about, like, wealth will be redistributed. They don't talk about slavery. We're still not nope. even clear on whether they are freeing the slaves, which is a big <sighs> point. Um, but also, like, it seems very much like all of the the white nobility that was installed and took the lands of Raqqa nobility are still keeping 
their titles and like some of their wealth, but just not all of it was my read of it. Because like they have all these white allies who are going to remain nobility. Right. And they really only talked about wealth, not power, like going back into different hands. Although I assume that kind of goes together. Yeah. So what it actually says is um, Dove told them every time the subject came up, that property would be redistributed. The Loiren could be content with less wealth than they had possessed before, or they could leave the Isles. Most chose to stay, particularly as the Namrus, Balatangs, Ponfales, Obamex, and Tomangs began to divide their own land with those who had a legal claim. Um. Okay. Which is a weird thing to say because didn't they kill most of the Raka nobility? Right, I think what's kind of implied by the books is that, like, they use the fact that that most of those people are dead to be able to keep around all of the white nobles without actually making them all not nobles, but then the Raka nobility who did stick around are gonna get more land and become more powerful. But it does, like, very much gloss over it. Also, like, mm-hmm. it, it strongly implies that all of the Luaren who are part of the conspiracy are totally fine with giving up their land. Uh, which I am skeptical of. <laughs> It's kind of weird that it's not, like, the government saying, okay, now the land will be given back according to this policy. It's very much presented as, like, the Luaran, the good people, begin to divide up their land, which, like, the people who had the land before have claim to all of it. So if you're right. dividing up everything that other people have legal claims for, you should not have any. <laughs> like, uh, but it makes it seem like they're, like, keeping a good bit of it. <laughs> like... Yeah, I mean, I think it's very clearly a, a part of, like, she just didn't want to, like, go into to it. To go into yeah. it, because that, to be fair, like, that could be a novel itself. Like, if you were going to you know, go into it, I don't think you had yeah. room for it to start in the epilogue. Right. Uh, <laughs> but then it's kind of, like, it's using it as a tool of, of very effectively being like, oh, remember our, our good friends, the good Luarans? They're still doing good! <laughs> yeah. Like, it's also not entirely clear to me, like, who, you know, if they're doing redistribution of wealth or, like, reparations, who are the people that they're giving it to? Like, they say the people who had claim to it, but, like, if if the nobility are dead, are they giving it to just, like, common folk who live there? Are they creating new Raka nobility? Are they freeing Mm. any slaves? And if so, are they giving them anything? We just don't know. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like... There are different ways to conceptualize it, but one just involves kind of like a a shift in the power balance between like existing nobility, such that yeah, existing rock nobility mm-hmm. kind of are put more mm-hmm. on more equal like economic footing. But it does nothing to overhaul like things for the wider population, which should be the goal of some sort of that kind of system, right? Yeah, I mean, I don't want to turn this into yet another like. <laughs> It's the book is bad because they didn't solve monarchy conversations. <laughs> like, you know, we're always perilously close to that. But, right. um, but I mean, like the fact that the majority, as far as I can remember, the majority of the Raka nobility were killed. So just giving some additional power to the remaining ones is not going to restore the power balance in the country, right? Right. Right. But maybe the thing is that, like, is that the goal or is the goal to keep peace? Um, now that they've won peace. And I also think we don't really know. We interact with, like, five noble families in this book. Like, I don't think we actually have a very good conception about- I just thought that was something that they said in Trickster's Choice, was that most of the Raka families were dead. Mm -hmm. 
I think it said most of the old no- houses of, like, the old nobility. Yeah, but it's also, like, very unusual that Dove and Sarai are mixed race. Mm. Like, that's notably unusual. I took that as more as within the nobles. Yes. There was very little intermarriage. So, yeah, I think we just, like, you're, you're right that it's kind of weird, but I, I think it's one of those things that, like, you could explain off screen, but maybe in a full-length novel. I mean, yeah, it's just, like, we never even see any other than the, the Tamidas, the family that Sarai and Dove, uh, their mom was from. I don't think we even have any other named Raka noble families. I could be wrong. There could be one or two topped up. No, but once again, we have like five named noble families. Right, but we could have more. Like, I don't don't think that Abby's suggesting that there's a lot of named noble families, just that there aren't any Raka ones. Uh, Yeah, just that like, (laughs) we don't have, like, yeah, I'm just saying that my impression was there, there were fewer Raka noble families than white noble families. Right. I don't I agree with you. That was my read as well. I mean, I I agree with you too. I think that's not necessarily an un- insurmountable barrier given that a lot of the white noble families are fleeing. Well, that's we didn't get a lot of indication that they were, really, cuz a lot I mean, all the conspiracy families are staying around. The part you read said that most of them stayed. Yeah, most the of way, them stayed. The Luarin. Yeah, I mean, my my original point was just that shifting the power balance between the existing Raka nobles and white nobles might not be enough to actually, like, create racial parity in the country because a lot of the original Raka noble families were killed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I think I think ultimately you're right. I think that in the end it's unlikely, but I also think that, like, she didn't write it so she wouldn't have to explore that. And as such, you mm-hmm. could imagine that not to be true because she very deliberately did not give us enough information to make a determination. Right. I mean, there's a lot... She's doing a lot of dodging here, basically. Yeah. Right. <laughs> she being Tamara Pierce, obviously. Mm-hmm. And I think, yeah, maybe it's like more like an in-universe versus overall intention point, too. But yeah, I mean, right. Like, I, I would almost have expected to see, like, Dove creating new Raka nobility at the end, like, you know, mm. ennobling characters that we've seen, but we didn't get right. that, and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm curious about that. Right, or I could see in, in like, other fantasy books, I don't know a lot about real-life monarchy, um, but I could see it being treated as, like, these are existing Raka titles, and the deal is to figure out who has claim to that title now, mm-hmm. and it doesn't seem like that's what ha- what's happening. Well, actually, that's the implication I got from it, was basically like, okay, we have, we maybe have a very limited remainder of the Rock of Nobility, but we can give them, even if it was like, okay, you were like the third cousin twice removed, or your ancestor was the third cousin twice removed of this dude, we'll give you their lands back. It's even possible that there are descendants of Rock of Nobility that are no, that are that were no longer noble, that they're, like, tracking down and being like, here are your lands back. <laughs> yeah. Cool. <laughs> Do you all have other topics you'd like to talk about? Yeah. This is, this is just a, a really minor point about nobility, which is not really what we were talking about, but I do just want to make it fast, which is, Allie's such a snob. <laughs> she has a whole thing where she's, like, really judgy about them wearing lots of jewelry because it's, like, they're newly ennobled merchants. Yo. Okay. <laughs> she's like, oh, they're new money. <laughs> I mean, she's also really, like, she's judgy about the Rocco wearing lots of jewelry. Yeah, yeah, she and, is like, for everyone. And, like, bright colors and stuff. Yeah. And I'm like, Allie. Allie, 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 Allie. <laughs> <laughs> like, at one point she talks about being excited to, like, she was wearing 
um, like a Raka sarong that was bright colors, and she talked about being very excited to go back to like lore and like very, you know, uh, like neutral of... colors, yeah, or something. Wow, so excited to wear boring colors again. <laughs> yeah, that line really stuck out to me as just strange. Like, yeah, you know, I can yeah. see that she's been wearing a sarong for a long time, and she might want to wear like you know a, a dress of a style that she's used to or whatever, but. Like, specifically to be like, oh, I'm so excited to go back to wearing boring colors. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Too flashy. Oh, weird. I'm old money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I guess as long as we're talking about Allie's relationship with race and the Raka, mm. she does get a, a Raka language nickname, um, which is... Duwani? Yeah. Like, it's not an actual name, but it, it's very much in the trend of, like, white person who gets adopted into this non-white culture and gets, you know, gets a name and gets, like, a position in their culture despite not actually being part of it. Mm-hmm. Did you all, in reading this book, speaking of alien racism, notice mm-hmm. that every time she goes to do spy things, the way that she tries to make herself, like, a convincing spy is she's just very racist? <laughs> that was so frustrating to me. Like, I I understand, you know, in the scene where she's talking to, like, the spy master of the country that it's, like, to her advantage to make him think that she's racist. But, like, it did also very much feel like, you know, the hypotheticals that white people will give for, like, you know, if I was held at gunpoint, would it be okay for me to say the N-word or whatever? Right! No, right. exactly. I feel like there are many other things that, as a spy, she could have been talking about to, like, prove her identity. But, mo- like, multiple times... Yeah. When she's being a spy, her go-to is just racism. And yeah. I'm like, did you need to go there? Right. Ugh. And, like, even if it's justified mm-hmm. in the narrative, it's not comfortable for me to listen to the main character be very no. racist. And I don't think she's ever, like, maybe I'm misremember or not remembering certain points, but I don't remember her ever being like, oh, it felt so wrong to have to say this, but I needed to. Like, she just, like, yeah. gotta sell it. Like, Anyway, yeah, no, that's I'm, all I wanted to say yeah. about that. It was frustrating. She also yeah. made a joke about blackface at one point that I did not enjoy. Ugh. <laughs> she didn't actually do blackface in this book, unlike the previous one. <laughs> that's a mercy. Oh, there were also both books. This is tying into a thing that I mentioned last episode, I guess. But both books had a scene where, like, a rocka person who is like on Allie's side in the broader picture, just, like, attacks her for no reason, and she has to, like, prove her combat skills by fighting them. <laughs> Good noise, Aurora. <laughs> Sorry, what? <laughs> People can't see me, like, making, like, sad gestures. Yeah. So, I just go with sound effects. a lot of noises. Yeah. Yup, yup. I... Yeah, I feel like I, um... We talked about this a little bit in our previous episode about, like, race is in some ways less present in this book because yeah. we move out of the, the slavery piece. But I also felt like I just got kind of desensitized to some of the racial um, aspects of this book that are, like, hard. Like, in the first, in Trickster's Choice, I kept noticing them. And then by Trickster's Queen, I'm like, oh, okay, like, these dynamics aren't standing out to me anymore so mm-hmm. i hope that there's not things that i'm overlooking that we should be talking about mm-hmm. and i don't think it's necessarily great that i can just be like well it was pretty much the same as the last book in terms of like you know white saviorism and things like that um, yeah i mean a lot of that stuff is a direct continuation of stuff from yeah. the last book so yeah i don't think we need to rehash 
so much of like yes Allie is a white savior we know this we can move on right but I also think it's like a good reminder that like when you're reading series and things like that like the the dynamics just because you get used to them it doesn't mean that they shouldn't be something that you're paying attention to oh yeah totally this is like a relatively minor point but I just kind of wanted to hear what you guys thought about it um this book keeps making a distinction and the last book might have done this too but I, I noticed there were a bunch of times when a distinction was made between Raka half-bloods and, like, part-bloods versus full-bloods. And, like, sort of acting like they were a culturally separate group. And, like, you know, I mean, that's that's not how American race works. It's, like, a different race system, obviously. But, like, I don't know. I was just sort of curious what you guys made of that. Yeah, so that, I also noticed that. And it frustrated me a lot because I think it was one of the best examples of why Allie was a bad choice of main character mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um because mm-hmm. i actually i highlighted a quote where she said um i wonder how how many of these people know that the crows are sacred to kipria the trickster ali wondered the rock of full bloods know but how many part bloods and how many full right. bloods were in she doesn't know she has no yeah. idea how the race system actually works in the country that she's in like right she and as such like she keeps having these like thoughts and pronouncements about it but like she she's making it up like she doesn't know and as a result like we get no meaningful exploration of it and instead we have this weird half american conception yeah and right i mean it's such a weird distinction to make like oh yeah all of the full bloods have this cultural knowledge but none of the mixed race people do because mixed race people don't like learn things from their parents right like how would that be sequestered like that it's confusing and like there are places like where there is a racial system that's distinguished like that from not my knowledge which is not very complete i know that um like in canada there's like groups of metis people who kind of see it more like that or like uh where mixed race becomes its own identity and community mm-hmm. uh, or um groups between two groups i don't know i'm, I'm not going to be able to be very articulate about it but um, there's a lot of better sources um but I don't think that Allie is the right person to tell us how that works. And it's like hard to read her analyzing it in a way where you're like, well, I don't think you know that. But right. Okay. She clearly does not have understanding of it. <laughs> yeah. Right. And like, it's frustrating too to be able to be like, this is clearly a racial system that functions differently than the one that I exist in, but you're not going to give me enough for me to understand what's happening. And instead, I just have to view it through like a a white narrator's eyes. Like, that's Mm -hmm. not helpful. And Mm -hmm. I think it does probably stop us from really being able to, you know, if you're looking at it more in universe, like it stops Allie from being able to uh, really understand what's going on around her because she doesn't have that like cultural grasp yeah like i wasn't here for last book's discussion but there was you know as you as you noted there's like a lot of her freaking out about what's gonna happen to white people and she also generally in every sentence where she says that she's also like and what about people who are like part bloods and then these words are also really uncomfortable to me but um we're assuming they're not offensive in this conception of the world but Anyway, who can say because we only hear Allie talk about this. Right, right. exactly. Um, we have no idea how these people actually conce- conceive of themselves. Anyway, she generally worries about like them too, but like we don't like we don't really have any meaningful knowledge of how those people are viewed within their own societies. So like, no. she's just worrying based on her own made up understanding. Ah, so annoying. And she does like there's other active characters like. 
like Dove and Sarai are mixed race, but they, I don't think any of these ideas about like, oh, part blood people have this experience. It doesn't seem like that's coming from her discussion with her peers, you know, it's just like, I don't think we necessarily even hear them use those terms or like hear them speak to that experience. It's very weird. Yeah. Allie. (laughs) What are you doing? (laughs) Yeah. And I feel like one of the things with Allie too, is she gives the, all of the kind of Luaran nobility way too much like slack. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not surprising, but yes, definitely. Yeah. Like there's so many things. I mean, the way it's written, it's like she very much looks up to, like, Winamine and Nuritin and even some of the, like, Luaran conspirators. But, mm-hmm. I mean, reading into the Luaran conspiracy and, like, when they started reacting to things, it was never about them, like, helping the Raka. No. Yeah. It was always, you know, it got to the point where they were helping once there was, like, regicide. A- and that was, like the last straw for them. And Ellie's like, that's fine. We just need their help. Like, whatever does it. And I feel like that was something that could have gotten a lot more kind of pushback, especially because these are going to be a lot of the people that still hold a lot of power in the future governments. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, even even Winamine, who is like has a good relationship with Dove and Sarai and is like a character that, I mean, I, I like her a lot. Like, she's a character that's very like central to the narrative. Like, mm-hmm. she's also... Definitely. I mean, there, I think there's a point in there where um, Allie is like eavesdropping on a conversation and hears someone else say something really racist about Sarai. I don't think we get the actual text of what she says other than just it's racist. And then Allie says like, it, the, the book says, Allie knew the Duchess probably agreed with that. And like, you know, obviously that's not her actually mm-hmm. agreeing with it on the page, but it is Allie believing that she would condone that racism so i don't you know like there's no there's no examination of it for those characters we've just like as of the last book we've decided like oh winamine is like a friend we don't have to examine her actions yeah and this i think would definitely be an argument for expanding that last part of the book like if you if you had actually taken if you had had this happen in the first two thirds and taken even just the last third to examine what happens with like the reparations and all of this stuff um not reparations really redistribution um yeah but like i think you could have dug into that significantly more because we got we got one line of that is what we got we got we got the line with um namru mm-hmm. which was almost more of a gender thing than a race thing although i i think i mean they're tied together i think namru's thing was a entirely a gender thing but i think fezgal points out specifically not you know that not only are we putting this girl on the throne but specifically like one of ours um Mm -hmm. but like yeah we could have we could have gotten so much more exploration of that um if she had let that last part linger more right and i know that there aren't a lot of books out there that are about here's the thing after the thing but (laughs) i think that if because this book is interesting because it really dives into like okay there's a conflict happening what does that mean day to day what does that mean over a long span of time um Mm -hmm. and i think that's really interesting and i think that that is a good setup for then saying okay what does it mean now like it's you know over but in air quotes like over 
but what does that mean? Like, what comes next? What what happens after that? Um, mm-hmm. And I kind of wish that, that I think it would have felt very satisfying or like a good next step if it actually did go that far to say, like, okay, now, now what? And also, like, it would it would be good for Ali as a character, like, satisfying for Ali as a character to be involved in that because I think we get the sense that she's not, like, just gone like not uninvested but we don't get to see her like see it through to the conclusion we just or to the future of this place Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. it seems like she's pretty ready to go back to where she came from (laughs) yep she she chooses not to but like right we don't actually get to see her yeah move forward from that decision right yeah it's also something interesting just because like you know, we don't we don't necessarily see the like fallout of the Immortals War, but we do have the Kell books, which kind of show us that from another POV. So like, mm-hmm. partially it's just tricky because this is the last book in the timeline. Right. Like, mm-hmm. if we if if there was another book, they'd probably at least like sort of let us know what was going on in the Caprish Isles, Copper Isles, whatever is the actually appropriate name to call them. So what we're really saying is that we all got our answers wrong at the beginning. What we really need is, like, Dove's daughter or something. Yeah. That would be so good. Or Sarai's kid. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Sarai's kid. Yeah. yeah. Sarai's kid going back to the Isles? That would oh, be yeah. really cool. That would be really cool. That is oh. the best sequel. Yeah. And, like, if there was, like, we see Ali saying, like, okay, I'm going to stay. But, like, what does that mean? Like, what are, are you, who are you? Like, are you, do you have a job there? Like. I mean, she's probably still going to be Spymaster, but. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I, I did wonder if she's going to get a noble title or if she's, how that's going to work. Yeah. Nay. They should just give her a house. Be like, here's your house. Live there. No titles for you. Actually, I think we know that that's not true. I think we got very strongly implied that she has literally become part of Dove's household because mm. Dove right. hands her the ring and is like, That's oh, true. Yeah, yeah that's true. You're one of mine yeah. now. And I was like, <laughs> Yeah. I, yeah. We're not at Friendship Corner yet. Sorry. <laughs> no, not yet. <laughs> do, you, do you all remember, though? So when Allie's going to tell all of the people about her actual past, yeah, she told them, and then she was, like, reaching for her sword and her knives? <laughs> was she prepared to just fight them and ruin everything she had, like, helped with? I assume that she wouldn't have killed Dove, probably. <laughs> Back to that, like, how much murder is an okay amount of murder question. <laughs> she was, yeah, she was, like, yeah. thinking about, like, where did I keep my longsword? I could probably reach it. I'm like, what are you doing, Allie? <laughs> right, if you think about that, I mean, like, you know, the the idea is, like, oh, she's worried that they'll attack her when they find out who she is because, like, they'll think that she's a traitor or something. But, like, if you think about it for a second, like, she's very committed to the cause, so what would that actually accomplish? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? Just a very weird moment. Yeah. <laughs> anyway... I'm like, were you just in it for, like, funsies <laughs> now that it's over? Right, I mean, it, that makes sense for, like, Allie from the beginning of Trickster's Choice, who was just doing it as, like, right. a way to get home. But, like, what? Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Super wild. Anyway. Wait, I have two other just, like, individual notes about race that we probably don't have to have a, co- a conversation about. One is... Is creamy the only word that Tamara Pierce knows to use for skin? Because <laughs> she used it for, like, four different characters. It's a pretty gross word, as far as words go. Um, the other one is, the nickname Topaba is not given an origin. 
Do you guys have any ideas about, like, what's the deal with that? Because it's not his name, and it made me wonder if it was, like, a Rocco word, but we never got that information. Oh, that is weird. I Yeah. Does it sound hmm. like the other Rocco words? Like, to me, it sounds a little bit, like, phonetically different, but I, maybe that's just me. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it, do- it just doesn't sound like a, a nickname that's based on English, you know? No. And it's also not based on his name, so, like, where did it come from? Um, yeah. It's a word in Portuguese. Hmm. Sure. Really? Hmm. Is it? I <laughs> just licked it off. Yeah, maybe that's really a linguistics thing. It just made me think that she might be like, like maybe wanted to give him like a rock and nickname, but then like didn't want to like commit to it or something. <laughs> just like, here's some sounds. Here's a word. <laughs> Whoa, yeah, I hadn't. I knew he had another name. Did they even? Wow. They say it a couple times, but yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I don't know. That was just a mystery. Oh, oh. This is a little late for it, but do you all, at one point, Winamine says that she and Mequin realized that the people in her household were up to something, <laughs> but she says that she and Mequin just decided to be like, eh. cool. <laughs> like, what was that? Right, I like, think she specifically says, like, well, I didn't think you were going to get caught, so, like, I just kind of ignored yeah. it. Like, and, she, yeah, she's, she's like, you were all so careful. But she also... <laughs> oh, yeah, that is what she says. You're being very careful. Okay. <laughs> yeah, no, I thought that was super fascinating. She also said that, like, they had both, she and Mequin, did not, like, really care for the laws, but they hoped that, like, you know, maybe if, if someone got up to a little rebellion or something, a fright yeah. would lead to a better government. Mm-hmm. These are some real white liberal feels. Like, I know! <laughs> the whole Luaran conspiracy are such white liberals. Yeah. Ugh. Anyway, yeah. yeah that's, I should have pegged that onto our discussion of the white Luaran, but I, I thought that was a particularly prominent point. Yeah, the thing about that is, like, you know, yeah, I guess they just think, like, Oh, it's fine if if like the like our servants and slaves like do a little rebellion because surely they won't hurt us. They're good <laughs> masters. <laughs> like, hey. What? <laughs> That's yeah. I don't know what's going on there. I mean, I also was unclear with that whole conversation whether they at all realized the twice royal thing. Yeah. Because if they did, that makes like a little bit more sense because when you know that they're mm-hmm. invested in Dove and, and Sarai. It's less likely, although still not impossible. Yeah, although also, like, you'd think they'd be smart enough to put together that if Dove or Sarai gets the throne, that probably means Elzerin has to die. Yeah, everyone's in denial on that one, Abby. Like, literally everyone in this book. <laughs> That's true. <Yeah>. It's very true. <laughs> right. Well, and I just think no matter what you think about them knowing, like, even if they're on board with, like, Dove and Sarai, Twice Royal, okay. Like, they still could just be, like, slightly more involved. Like, they could mm-hmm. just, like, have any opinion and act on that, really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're like, we knew you were up to something. We could have helped you, but, like, nah. no, let's yeah. just see how it turns out. <laughs> We have, like, a lot of resources, but it's fine. Just do your thing. You know what? Dramatic, violent rebellion, that sounds fine. You know? It sounds okay. <laughs> not great, not bad. Okay. <laughs> we'll hedge our bets, see how it, how it goes. <laughs> Ugh. Oh, goodness. Uh, does anyone have any other race things? I have one more point about militarism slash imperialism. Go for it. Um, which I have written down as Tortal is the CIA. 
Um, Oh my gosh, yeah, that's so true. I noticed that too. Uh, Yeah, they just, for context, for people who haven't read this book recently, uh, Tortal, I think the implication is specifically George, but also, like, with the approval of the king and stuff, just, like, sends Allie a bunch of money to fund the revolution. Um, And it's specifically noted that, like, this is a thing that countries do sometimes. They send money to destabilize their neighbors. (laughs) <laughs> it's like oh fun uh-huh it is a thing that countries do sometimes <laughs> is it good <laughs> no <laughs> uh yeah so uh-huh. that's just I, I mean like it's just such a weird thing to have in there as like a, i mean in this case obviously like i am pro-revolution <laughs> yeah but like right, right. the idea of just like oh yeah our like our country the one that we like the good one they're sending money to, to other countries to destabilize their governments and put regimes that they like on the throne. And even specifically, like, regimes where they, like, have an ear. Like, because, you know, if this regime, if this revolution succeeds, then Ali will be very close to the throne. And obviously she's sympathetic to Tortal, so. Right. Yeah, if there was anyone I didn't want, I wouldn't want to be, like, a foreign expat or whatever like it's probably my spy master right like that's mm-hmm. probably something like. yeah yeah really <laughs> she's never it's kind of the same as like alana when she's getting really involved with the tribes or john as voice of the tribes like you're never not going to be loyal to tortal there's ne- never any mm-hmm. suggestion that they're renouncing tortal it's just like oh well like yeah, of course we still like our country, but, like, your country, we'll help you out. Like, we'll get involved. But then they're holding these super-duper important positions. <laughs> right. And, yeah, I mean, the Bajir are specifically, like, an oppressed group within Tortal. So the idea that a Tortalan could represent their interests is ridiculous. But, like... Yeah, I think that's a little yeah. more... But, yeah, you're right. It is, like, it's, like, the CIA. It's, like, if we were, like, oh, like, we... <laughs> very similar to just being like you know what venezuela you're doing okay but we could really help you out by just like really changing what's going on by just overflowing your government and putting a very powerful american in there <laughs> yike yeah so that's all i have to say about that i also have a a very short ableism point which i know is not a section that we always have but but it's important to talk about yeah. And so, okay, so my point there is that um, they mentioned again in this book, which they this is a repeated pattern, that, you know, that the, what they want for the throne is not only a Raka queen, but a sane Raka queen, which, like, oh. I don't think there was any indication in this book that Imogen and Rumanian were, like, had any sort of mental health issues. Oh, there was. There was the implication with Imogen, frequently. I guess you're right, yeah. But I don't know, I, th- I think this is just such a common fantasy trope to always tie bad royal rulership to specifically, like, quote-unquote craziness. Yep. Uh, I mean, I guess it's it's part of just sort of, like, the divine right of kings type of thing, where, like, monarchs deserve to rule because of their bloodline, so if they're a bad ruler, it has to be, it can't just be because they're a bad person, it has to be because they're, like, insane. And so, yeah, like... You know, they could just be bad rulers. They could just be very racist. <laughs> but no. Right. And they could just be acting in their own interest. Which, right. if you Absolutely. are an all-powerful ruler, is going to be bad for your country. Like, it's a bad system of government. Not that we're going to go there again. But <laughs> <laughs> you really yeah. don't actually need to invoke ableist tropes in order to have a bad ruler. Mm. Yeah. So yeah, that's something we've seen before, so we don't need to probably go further than that. But it was there. So we're going to move on to, I think, 
Our next section, which is authorial intent, also known as piercing the veil, A. And do we want to start with, does anyone have something that's specifically authorial intenty? I have that post that I spent like three hours yeah. looking for. Um, so we had some, somehow we had previously come across this post um, where somebody asked on Tumblr of Tamara Pierce, um, what is your biggest regret in your books? Um, we talked about this previously because one of the things she talked about was the voice of the tribes, but the other thing she talked about was Trickster's Queen. So she said, I wish I had made it clear in Trickster's Queen that Ali is dealing only with the Luaran and the nobility in the palace. I thought I had, but clearly I didn't. Which was interesting. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> so I've spent a lot of time thinking about this and I'm pretty sure sh- I have a theory on what she means and then I have a response to what I think she means. <laughs> Which is, I think what she's trying to say is that everybody's mad at her because this is a white savior narrative. Uh-huh. But what she's trying to say is that it's not a white savior narrative because Allie wasn't actually the savior. Like, she was just one part of a conspiracy. Um, so she was working to dethrone the king with all these other people. But, like, really, she only had one piece of the pie. So it's not a white savior narrative. That's an interesting argument. Um, I think if that's her argument, she's right that she didn't do a good enough job. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think that's just not true based on the text of the book. I think it's true that Abby, Ali, sorry, Abby. (laughs) (laughs) Every episode. (laughs) Every episode. um, That uh, that Ali is only one part of the conspiracy. And I also think it's true that she doesn't do a good job of showing that, especially in Trickster's Choice. I think in this Mm -hmm. one, we get a little bit more of what other people are doing that like, Alyssim has been planning an entire war here. We just aren't paying attention. Um... But that said, I think that's, like, literally only half of what a white savior trope is. I think she doesn't understand Mm -hmm. what a white savior trope is. So there's one part of a white savior trope, which is people who are not white can't solve their own problems, and they need a white person to come do it for them. Um, That is a bad part of the white savior trope, and I think that's what she's saying. Like, I didn't do that. Like, this is really a Raka conspiracy. Allie's just there helping out. The other part of that trope, though, which she didn't play 100% straight, is that the stories about people of color are only interesting and important if they're told from the point of view of a white person. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And she just didn't... I don't think she's figured out that that's as much or more of a problem in this book than mm-hmm. how much of the work Allie did. The, the bigger problem here is that Allie's story is the story we're getting, and we're supposed to care about the Raka because Allie likes them. Um... And that's a huge problem. <laughs> right. So, yeah. No, we st- we still need it from somebody else's POV. There's no way to tell the story the way you want to. I think that's really interesting, and and um, yeah, I I agree for sure. Um, yeah, I also just wonder because I'm thinking you're saying, oh, she doesn't understand the depth of this, and um, based on this response. Yeah, definitely. She's not addressing this with like the correct amount of attention. Um, but what I and so I was thinking, okay, well, what what do we know that she can say about this? We know so little. So if you're really aware that there's you're perpetuating this kind of trope, like maybe write more than one sentence in one Tumblr post, you know, <laughs> or or just speak to it more in depth. I would be really interested to see what's the actual in depth explanation of like this is where the the book was at 
this is what I thought I was saying. Now I've realized that people are seeing it more like this or that it's playing into this trope or whatever. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I just think that's worthy of a lot of attention. And that's the way that we can contextualize narratives as, um, you know, one piece of the puzzle or the the author choosing to write one story and then later realizing like, oh, maybe I didn't understand what I was, what I was playing into or the, the history or the context or whatever. Um, yeah. So I would just be really interested. I mean, like, even that you had to hunt that long to find it. I'm like, okay, so maybe we could be saying a little more. Mm-hmm. Right. I would love to, to like read her extended thoughts on this. If mm-hmm. I mean, I, if that's out there, someone please send it to us. But yeah. yeah, as far as I know, she hasn't talked about it more than that one sentence. No, and I mean, even that one sentence was so general that I think if you poked at it a little more, it would turn out to be like a little incorrect given things we get in the text as you said yeah yeah no i mean because what she said is that what ali only dealt with the luaran and the people in the palace is is that was the wording it's not true yeah yeah uh is dealing only with the luaran and the nobility in the palace yeah right yeah that's that's not true because she has her she's in charge of the whole information network including spies all over the city mm-hmm. she deals with like the slave trade you know the, the she helps orchestrate the palace break the the um the the breakout of the prison like she's doing lots of things and right her yeah. she also like she doesn't keep to her own like side of that she also like mm-hmm. she mm-hmm. puts the darkings with um the other like raka leadership she spies on yeah, them. yeah she spies on the other members of the conspiracy <laughs> yeah so that she can know everything that's going on exactly right which yeah ugh, yeah not good form if yeah so i feel like that felt like a a, a statement that was I don't know. It was like it was formulated to be vague so that people could kind of interpret it in whatever way made them feel like she'd answered it. But right. really, it didn't have that effect. Right. And even just like looking at the text, you know, I think we said this kind of as a joke in our previous episode, but Allie really has like protagonist energy, you know? <laughs> like there's no way to say this as like we happen to be sitting with this side character, but she's not the most influential person in this text. And it's just a point of view for us to see these really great characters of color like triumph in this like it's mm-hmm. there's no way to say this is really Dove's story. I think if this book written differently could be Dove's story, but the way it's written and the way Allie is written, there's no way to make that claim. You know, if you're reading this mm-hmm. book, you are reading Allie's story. Yeah, no, it's like people yeah. who claim that that Hamilton, the Hamilton in the title of Hamilton is actually Eliza Hamilton. Like it's just not true. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> it's a nice idea, but it's wrong. <laughs> right. Um although I, I want to point out that I I said that Junai had protagonist energy in the last episode. So, oh, okay. slightly off topic, but yeah. Yeah, no, no, I'm just recalling that and being like, oh yeah, Allie is like, okay, that's a good way to put it. Like, Allie is the protagonist. Like, there's no way to be like, nope, we're just like taking a side view into this story and she's not really the savior. Like, no, you're, she's being presented as the one who's pulling the strings. Like, that's the whole story. Like, I mean, she is literally the chosen one in the title Trickster's Choice. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, the second book is called Trickster's Queen, so. Yeah, I guess Dove is Trickster's Queen, right? <laughs> I will make the point that it's worse in the first one. Like, it's bad oh, yeah. in the second one, but it's worse in the first one. Um, right. Because in the first one, she's, like, out there being, like, we should do patrols. Like, that is, yeah. Yeah. God. Yeah. This book is a lot better than the first book. Right. But, like, I just don't, yeah, I, I agree. I don't see any way where that sentence is accurate to the book. Like, even if you say she only influences people in the palace, and yeah. that's where she's, like, 
being the savior in this story. That's not true. Like, yeah. <sighs> yeah. Okay. Should we talk bird stuff? Bird stuff. Bird stuff. <laughs> so Nawat isn't a crow anymore. He's a man now. <laughs> <laughs> Except. Except. <laughs> Except that not really, because I can't get over how much in this book they want to emphasize to you that he's still a crow. Like They make so many bird puns. He's a man now, but she also spends a long time being like, guys, he thinks like a crow. He acts like a crow. He wants a really ugly, shiny necklace. <laughs> like a crow. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's a very weird thing where, like, yeah, the book spends a lot of time demonstrating that he really super is a crow, and then the way that he is a man is he's seen combat, and he, like, knows what he wants, and what he wants is sex with Allie, and he's <laughs> willing to take dubious consent to get it. Yeah, and, like... I was confused about, you know, because there's the whole thing where he's like, I have needs. And I'm like, yeah. is that supposed to be a man thing or a bird thing? <laughs> like- <laughs> it's impossible to tell, honestly. I think it's both. <laughs> because I think, like, even at the beginning where he's, like, all the- he's not, quote unquote, a man yet, mm-hmm. he, like, really wants to, like, mate with Allie. <laughs> um, but then later, like, once he is a man, he's, like, there's definitely an implication that, like, a man has needs. <laughs> yeah. I just, I don't like it. Yeah, I think the least, my least favorite part of this book was just all of the parts that were going over them being a thing. Yeah. 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 I definitely forgot how pushy he was. Like, I think we kind of messed up not totally talking about this in the feminism section but like oh well we're talking about it now we have stated many times that social justice corner is all the corners (laughs) Um, (laughs) so we've gone over the dubious consent of many of the relationships in the Tortal books before i think what bugged me more this time besides the fact like that continued to bug me but what bugged me this time was also that this is like our fourth book with that right like this is like our fourth pairing where the guy is super pushy and the girl isn't really sure, but she ends up deciding it's what she wants. And, like, so that's bad on a level of, like, rape culture. It's also bad on a level of, like, guys want sex and girls don't. Which is very much the implication that, like, girls don't go out of, like, don't seek out relationships in which they're going to have sexual encounters. Like, that's not a thing that girls do you just there to be pursued. And, like, from Tamara Pierce, of all people, that's just, like, really? We're, like, this far in and we still haven't gotten a relationship in which, like, the girl is into it? Like, Right. Well, and to say from, from Tamara Pierce, of all people, like, she has written us a number of couples where this is the, the playbook, mm-hmm. you know? Like, and, like, it just doesn't match up with her. Yeah. Like, Tamara Pierce is supposed to be all about female agency. Like, that's her brand. But somehow her female agency never makes it into her romantic encounters. Like, it's all good for their career, but, like, once we get to kissing... No. Yeah. And and this book, like, this series sort of felt like it was starting to break that trend because Allie is a character who really likes flirting. Mm-hmm. And, like... Yeah. Part of her dynamic, especially in the last book and then the beginning of this book with Nawat, was, like, she, like, knows more about, like, human sexuality than he does because he's a bird. Yeah. Um, but, like, so she she was sort of, like, taking the lead in their relationship in some ways. But then, like, they... I mean, in at the beginning of this book, that made me a little uncomfortable because 
she kept like trying to tell him what to do in his life and he was still the one who wanted to like have sex more so like it's not not none of that is good mm-hmm. but like then he he goes off and like like yeah becomes a man in a way that's like explicitly about like taking control of their relationship and that's why is that part of it right also Allie gets called out on the fact that she's trying to control his life. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, which is good. Like, she should have. I actually found, like, that particular, like, thread of it, like, cool outside yeah. of the context of the rest of it. Yeah. Um, but she gets called out for that. Noah never gets called out for, like, pushing her into things. Yeah. And, and also, like, in this book, despite the fact that Allie still spends a lot of time flirting, as I think I mentioned, she also gets kind of, like, weirdly anti-flirting for girls. She, like, judges Sarai for it a lot, and, like, the so the narration kind of does that. So, like, yeah, there, there's definitely a weird imbalance there, even in this book, where Allie is supposed to be a character who, you know, enjoys having romantic relationships and is not, like, uptight about it or anything like that. Not that that's a good trope, that, like, you know, you cannot want sex without being uptight about it. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> God, Abby, going really off the <laughs> um, um, Yeah, and also just, like, the sex scenes in this book. I mean, not to harp on it, because we've talked about it in other books, but, like, they're not fun to read. Like, the Allie never seems happy about what's going on. Like, even when it's like, and she enjoyed it. No, she didn't. I was there. She didn't. <laughs> right. She said she didn't want to. Right, yeah, and, like, I don't know, even just, like, some of the things that I think were, because it is important to show things in sexual situations to help people, like, understand that a lot of different things can happen and you're still fine and you can communicate with your partner and you shouldn't feel like it has to be one certain way. But, like, at the same time, like, I feel like it was going a little bit too far into normalizing the idea that, like, sex just is painful or like especially like penetrative sex is just painful (laughs) and it's like well like both partners should know that that's happening and things like that like Mm -hmm. we shouldn't be like normalizing things that are going to harm people and make them less likely to engage in really informed consent conversations (laughs) like you know like yes diversity of experience yes showing sex to young adults so that they can get more comfortable no normalizing things that means that people wouldn't talk to each other and and make each other more comfortable as much as they could. Mm-hmm. Grace, you're very wise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I, I mean, we got kind of off topic specifically of like the bird part of that, but like that's mostly what I was thinking about with their relationship in this book. Yeah. The bird part or no? <laughs> no, the the like gender dynamics at play in Tamara Pierce's work. Yeah, and it is getting weirdly into that trope of like men are just animals. They're just they can't control themselves except yeah. the animal is usually not birds it's usually like men are like wolves men are like bears like, men are like birds oh, man, it's <laughs> men will be birds you know <laughs> or birds will be men in this case but sure yeah <laughs> well I, I think we've covered our bird corner yeah, if that's as deep as I want to go into the bird stuff, probably. <laughs> There's also the part where he's like, I will never really be a human. It's like, great, well, then I'm glad you're in an intimate relationship with a human. Yeah, like a long-term <laughs> one. They're having a child together. A child? A nestling? A nestling? Oh, God. She, at some point, Allie made a crack about, like, until I lay an egg, yeah. and I did not enjoy that. <laughs> 
<laughs> was that a joke? And then I was like, but were you really? <laughs> yeah. Wow. And then Dove just went with it. She's like, yeah, when you two nest together, I'm like, stop. Oh, my God. <laughs> no. Everyone's too okay with this. <laughs> anyway, I'm going to move us into a related but also very much not related place. Friendship Corner. How is it related? <laughs> I'm assuming that Nawad and Ellie are also friends. I guess probably. I mean, they seem to fight a lot in this book, so I don't know. Yeah, that is true. But yes, welcome to Friendship Corner, in which we discuss the great, deep, supportive friendships that exist and are nice. Mm-hmm. AKA Dove and Ally, so cute. Dove and Ally. I mean, obviously that's the main one in this book, but like everything, <laughs> all of their interactions are amazing. And just like the 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 whole like. They're, like, two young girls who, like, see and understand a lot more than people think they will mm-hmm. and, like, backing each other up on that stuff. Really good. And they help each other with their work. Yeah. God, yeah. guys, isn't it so nice to read a book where a woman knows another woman? <laughs> wow. I love it. <laughs> I love it so much. Um, I was also going to shout out to, to Dove and Sarai mm-hmm. as really great siblings mm-hmm. um, for most of it. I especially loved the... Um, the part where like Soraya's like, oh yeah, I, basically I could outrun my chaperone, and Dove's like, nope, <laughs> nope, not this one, and just like it was such a sibling moment. Yeah, I mean, yeah, every once in a while I was like also reminded that they're both super young. Mm-hmm. Dove is so young that she's gonna be queen. She's like thirteen. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure whether this is friendship moment or not, but like. The Luaran conspiracy was just like, yes, you are 13, but you can join our conspiracy. (laughs) I mean, I think, like, she did figure out about both conspiracies, which, like, lends a lot to her case. I guess, but you could still be like, ah, smart kid. No, don't get involved, because you're a child. Later, but no. (laughs) She was good friends with a number of the members of the conspiracy. Yeah, and she can beat all of them at chess. Yeah, and she borrows their telescopes, and... Yeah, okay, so this is not relevant to anything, really. (laughs) The scene where I, like... I, it was very sweet that Dove was so excited about, like, her astronomer friend's telescope and looking at the eclipse. <laughs> I was very, like, I had a moment of just, like, being sad for Allie that she didn't get to look at the eclipse through <laughs> the telescope. And, like, I know she probably didn't care, but that's why Dove should be a POV character, so that I, the reader, can look through the telescope. <laughs> like, imagine the version of this book that goes in between their POVs. I feel like it would be yeah. so good. But also, like, in reference specifically to that scene like when they go home for the night and I think Allie's like you know helping Duff get ready for bed or whatever she says to her like I'm sorry that you couldn't see the rest of the eclipse and that was really cute Mm -hmm. yeah they really like I don't know I liked the moments where it like you know they just get to have like regular just being friends moments Mm -hmm. even in the midst of all the other stuff that's happening yeah Mm -hmm. yeah they really like actually get along and then also um you know, in terms of big moments, Allie, like, hinting to Dove, like, if only there was some way for you to be seen during the battle without being close by. (laughs) And then Dove figures it out and rides the flying horse, and it's great, and everything's wonderful. I love, like, the image, or, like, the, yeah, the idea of her just, like, riding on the flying horse. So beautiful. What what a triumphant moment. yeah. Yeah. Where she belongs in the sky. 
I also like the, uh, I don't know, I thought Allie had some sweet, like, she has some good jokes going on with her crew of spies. And they all love each other yeah. a lot. They have good banter. And she's so sad when they die. Oh. <laughs> Don't bring it to a sad place. <laughs> um, there was a point, I think it was pretty early on, where she was, like, making them practice something or something. Um, or, like, they were decoding a document. I don't know. And one of them, um, she said to Boulage, I think, mm-hmm. uh, very good. You must have had an excellent teacher. And then Boulage said, she was modest, too. And that <laughs> was very cute. <laughs> there was just, yeah, there was a lot of good banter and just friendly interaction. Yeah, and Ulossum and Allie have a nice friendship. They make jokes. They do. They're good friends. That whole family is so good. Yeah. Like Chobu and Ulusim and Junai. I love all of them. I'm so sad that all of them died. <laughs> it's so sad. But I do really appreciate Tamara Pierce's talent for, like, writing banter and groups where you can yeah. kind of, like, get the sense of the relationship between the people in the groups without really needing mm-hmm. to spend a lot of time in that. Mm-hmm. In that. Um, I think she's really good at that. Yeah, no, she does have a skill for that. And right, and get getting even the like individual personalities of members of the group, um, except for those two friends of Kel's that she mixes up. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they just have the same personality. <laughs> yeah, but like sometimes one of them is there and then later the other one is there. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> but in general, good groups. And yeah, like... Like, the family, like, you really are, like, okay, this is, this is Junai, like, I feel like I know who that is, Mm -hmm. and, like, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. this book has a big cast, yeah. Yeah, there there was, like, yeah, there there were so many individual members of the rebellion who felt, like, relatively fleshed out, and, like, I got an idea of their personality. Right, and I think she does a pretty good job of doing that without having the personality just be like this is the one funny one mm-hmm. right and this is the one who's grumpy like it's pretty <laughs> like you know very quickly you can she builds pretty nuanced characters mm-hmm. family wise we also have the last chapter we got a little bit of Allie and her parents oh, um, yeah. but the last chapter was really sweet um, it was so cute <laughs> Two biggest highlights being the, like, Dad, I need all of your agents out of the aisles <laughs> in 12 months, and you know that this is just going to become the most ridiculous fight for <laughs> the remainder of their lives. Yeah. Um, and then uh, also um, Ellie telling her mother, did I ever tell you I hate it when you're right? And her mother says, I don't believe you ever thought I was right before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're so charming. Aww, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and it kind of comes back to what we were talking about, too, where it's, like, they're good parents, and that's really cool. Like, right, they, like, make missteps, but, or, you know, like, they're not they're not 100% always great at parenting, mm-hmm. but, like, I love them as parents. They're trying their best. Right, they're not flawless parents, but they're yeah. good parents. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Yeah, and it was really nice to see Allie sort of be like, oh, I get where my parents are coming from, and I'm gonna, like, reconcile with Alana a little bit. Mm-hmm. Right, I think mm-hmm. it's pretty cool to see her go through that, like... You know, she's been away from her parents for a long time, and then she can kind of come back to them on, like, slightly more equal footing with, like, more empathy for the decisions that they've had to make. I think that's really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of family, I don't know if this was 100% a friendship moment, but it was my favorite line in the book, mm. so I want to shout it out here if I can find it. Um, so it's when uh, when Dove is sort of trying to interact in a friendly way with the... Um, 
you know, the the people on the streets to sort of, like, show that she can be a good queen or whatever. Um, and Winamine comes over while Dove is talking to, like, a woman with a bunch of children and gives them, like, some money and is like, you guys get yourself a treat or whatever. And Dove says, Winna, you didn't have to do that. And Winamine says, I wanted to have something good to remember about today, something that wasn't petty and mean. Sometimes you have to provide such moments yourself. And that was just so sweet and good, and I loved it. Like a good lesson, yeah. Yeah, that was probably my single favorite Winamine moment. And the fact that she wears a darking in her hair. That's also good. She sets a fashion. Everyone's French with their darkings. Yeah. (laughs) Oh my god, the darkings. (laughs) They're so cute. But also, the... A moment I kind of thought you were going for, but you were not, um, mm-hmm. was that moment when everybody's still freaking out about Sarai leaving, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and Dove says, is, is like talking to Allie, and says, they act like that's the end of everything, and Allie says, but it isn't, it could be the beginning, and then Dove says, how can I convince them? And I just, like, I loved yeah. that little moment of, like, Dove, like, is, like, 13, but, like... <laughs> Like, she immediately gets all of the implications, and she's immediately, like, committed, even though that's, like, a huge role. Yeah, I mean, there's so many- I mean, yeah, Dove's, like, extremely ready to be the queen, and it's amazing how Allie, like, recognizes that, but also just, like, there's so many moments where Allie and Dove are, like, instantly on the same page and, like, ready to work together, and it's excellent. They have a very good, like, partnership, which is just really cool. They're, like, you know, those two people who have so clearly been underestimated, like, all of the time, Mm -hmm. and they've, like, Mm -hmm. finally found somebody who doesn't underestimate them, and it's beautiful. It's just so beautiful. I I get why they did it the way that they did, but I, um, I wish that we had been able to actually see the scene where, you know, what actually happens in the narrative is everyone's freaking out about Sarai leaving, and then Dove is like, maybe this isn't the end, and then Allie passes out because of Kiprioth, but I wish we could have seen the scene where Dove convinces the rebellion that she could be queen. Yeah. Yeah. I really wish we had that. Like like you said, I get why we don't, but I wish we did. Yeah. <laughs> Though I feel like she maybe just said, I can do it, and then everyone would like look at her, think about it, think about <laughs> what they know about her, and then be like, okay. <laughs> Things seems fine. I mean, I would also love to see that scene. <laughs> Animal friends? I'm done with those because of the birds. So do Darkings count? We, like, mentioned their name. Yeah, I don't I I don't know if Darkings are animals or not. But they are friends. They are, they're definitely friends. And sometimes they're friends with animals. That's true. The one thing they definitely are is friends. <laughs> the one thing they definitely are is friends. <laughs> I don't know a lot about them as, like, it's hard to tell what else you could categorize them as. But, <laughs> but 100% friend. Yeah. But also they are friends with animals because they bring up the possibility of them riding the miniature Kudurung, <laughs> which is delightful. I want it so much. <laughs> Imagine if they just made themselves into little people, and then they rode around. <laughs> yeah, they shaved themselves, like, with legs. Oh, speaking of good animal friends and Kudurung, there were so many great little mini friendships between the Kudurung and yeah. the, um, I mean, lots of people. So, Ali and Ulasim and with Dove. Oh, Dove is, like, their best friend. Dove, of course, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, lo- I mean, like, none of the Kudurung got, like, a lot of individual personalities or anything like that, but I really love them as a group. Me too. And I love, like, they come in different sizes, and they're 
they they have a sense of justice. <laughs> I love, I love that. that some of them are mini and some of them are big. <laughs> some of the big ones are willing to fly tiny children out of riots. That's uh, nice. Yeah. Oh, there was also, I don't think that Stormwings are animals, really, but we did get Stormwings rescuing children from riots. Yeah, um, that was also nice. And that was good, because I yeah. like that Stormwings like children. Me too. Um, yeah. Man, what is going on with Stormwings? That could be a whole separate thing, but we don't really have time. <laughs> Ooh, next book is just about sto- a Stormwing kid. Yeah, oh my god, I want it. <laughs> I think my favorite of the Darkling moments, um, Darkling remember if there's an L um was the the moment with secret where mm-hmm. like secret thinks they're not gonna get a go with somebody yeah. and then they get a go with dub and it's like the best person and they get a fly it was amazing okay but also the earlier moment with secret where they get placed in the king's bedroom <laughs> and then they make friends with the king <laughs> and they bounce on his bed. And then Secret just won't say what he's doing. And so I was like, what are you doing? And he's like, Secret. Yeah. <laughs> so cute. Secret. <laughs> like a little Pokemon. <laughs> I think that will actually move us into ratings corner because we couldn't think of any foreshadowing, so we just made up some future books. Because there's this is there's no books that come after this. <laughs> we one. already foreshadowed for you the books that should happen next. Yeah. <laughs> so we've covered our night vision section. So into ratings, in which we uh, this is the chamber of the ordeal, I think, and we rate the books for nostalgia, animal friendship, and who we would recommend it to. Who would like to start? I will start. Great. Cool. Go, Grace. Okay. Um, I uh, felt significant nostalgia for this book, and honestly, I was pretty worried that, that would really, <laughs> my bubble would really be burst. Yeah. Um, but even though there's a lot to talk about and a lot to dissect, it honestly was a pretty fun book to reread. Like, the, um, the plot, the twist, the turns, the intrigue really held up for me. Um, so maybe like a, like a seven, I think. Six or a nice. seven. Um, because I, I think, okay, actually this is like less nostalgia because it's less different from the books that I read now than some of the other Tamara Pierce books are. So Mm -hmm. I'm not like, oh, my childhood. I'm just like, oh, I like this book. I'm happy to be rereading it. You know? Yeah. It's Mm -hmm. like a six, six, seven. Um, and then, um, for animal friendship, I would give it, okay, like raw animal friendship, like an eight, but then minus six for crow action (laughs) two that's anti-friendship we didn't even talk about like there was crow friendship but like not a lot so we can move past it overall two collectively two Um, (laughs) but that's an eight minus six for clarity Um, and then who would i recommend this book to um I don't know if I feel real solid about recommending it to anyone because I feel like I can't sell it based on it's a book I read as a kid, but it's kind of weird to read now, but it's still a lot of fun. Like, I feel like it's just, you know, it's still a book book and I don't feel great about like some pieces of the narrative. But if I could contextualize it for people, I feel like a lot of people I know would enjoy reading this book and it's not necessarily like, oh, this particular audience needs to read it. It's just a fun book. (laughs) Um, okay, I'm gonna give it an 8.5 out of 10 for nostalgia. The 0.5 <laughs> off is because halfway through I was like, oh, 
I'm enjoying this more because it's not addressing slavery. And that really took it down for me. And I did not enjoy that experience. But um, other than that, yeah, I mean, obviously there's issues with it. But overall, very fun read. I read it so many times as a kid. So that's where a lot of the nostalgia is coming from. Animal Friendship. Five out of ten, because there's not really that many animals, but I do love the cootering rung and the darkings if they count. Who would I recommend this to? Is is it? It's tricky because it's one of those ones where, like, I do think a lot of people I know would enjoy this. I also wouldn't want to re- recommend it without caveats. But if I could give caveats, then pretty much everyone. And I do think, like, it's not, you know, it's it's far from perfect, but it is a story about a bunch of brown people rebelling and overthrowing a white monarchy and I do love that (laughs) so lots of people and it's just a fun read yeah sure I think for nostalgia I'm somewhere around like a seven maybe an eight um I like Abby I like I really loved this book as a kid like it's it was one of my favorite Tamara Pierce um at points I think mine changed a bunch and like rereading it like I was pleased by it, especially how much, like, the plot as plot held up. Like, you know, what I loved about this as a kid was in part that, it, like, it had twists that I didn't see coming, but mm-hmm. were set up well. And, like, mm-hmm. that kind of thing, which I was was mind-blowing as a kid. And, like, I was really pleased that when I reread it this time, it wasn't like, oh, yeah, no, that's obvious from page one. I just didn't have any experience yet. <laughs> so much how I felt about Wolfspeaker. <laughs> Wolf Speaker did not hold up in terms of plot and twist, but this one super did. Right, it really did. Um, and so, so yeah. Um, obviously there are caveats now, but that, frankly, like in terms of the caveats compared to like even the last book, I think this maybe it's what Abby and Grace have both kind of said that like it's it's as much about you get inured to them in the second book in the series compared to the first one, but but just in terms of reading experience. Um, it held up better. I definitely think it's better. I don't know what I said what my rating was for the last one, but just imagine that my <laughs> rating is higher for this one. <laughs> Our ratings aren't scientific. <laughs> <laughs> and then Animal Friendship? I don't know. Like, a four or a five? Probably more of a four. Maybe a three. I don't know. There is no animal that's definitely an animal who has a name? Possibly just who has a name. Mm. But also definitely who has a personality. Um, and that's just like such a step down from all of her other series. I just <laughs> I just want all of my main characters to have animal friends. That's just like a basic <laughs> bottom rung of the ladder. So disappointed. Um, who would I recommend it to? I think Abby like hit it on the head. Like I kinda of think like people I can recommend it to Abby. <laughs> <laughs> like I <laughs> Um I think, like, people I know where, like, I'm not worried that, like, this is going to be the colonial narrative that they read. Right. Um, exactly. Where I can right. be like, okay, you, like, you should read this one. But also maybe here's, like, five others by non-white authors who you can also read. <laughs> uh, who I know you've already read. Like, that, I would be a lot more comfortable with that um, situation. Aurora? Let's see. For nostalgia... Ugh, so I had a very fun time reading this book, but also that chromance. <laughs> Maybe seven and a half. There were some really good characters that I'd forgotten that I just got to, like, re-meet, and that was great, but... Ugh. Anyway, next is the animal friendship. Well, Dove got to fly on a horse. That was really good. That in itself is worth, like, a three. 
<laughs> That's about it, though. <laughs> a Dorking turns into a dragon. Dragons are kind of animals. <laughs> five. I'm giving it a five. <laughs> I'm doing my best here. And then who would I recommend it to? Just piggybacking on all of y'all's. But I, I would say, yeah, read it, but, you know, with an asterisk. Yeah. Like, read it, but read it critically. Read it in a context. And what Shelby said about other books that you should also definitely right. read. This would never be, like, a flyby record. Like, I'm also, it's important to me that this wouldn't be the only book I ever recommended to a <laughs> right. person. Like, right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I think it, it is a fun one. I love a heist. Yeah. So, yes. Mm-hmm. We don't have a, li- a listener mail to read on the air this week, but um, we are interested from he- uh, in hearing from readers of color. If you have an experience that you want to share with these books, we would love to hear about it recall at gmail.com yeah well that's it for this episode thank you all for listening our music was green sleeves by zetta if you want to engage with us further you can find us at our website at tortellrecall.com you can email us at our gmail which is tortellrecall at gmail.com you can tweet at us on twitter which is i think our handle is at tortellrecall and you can tumblr at us that's not a verb, but it's fine. You can see us on Tumblr, which I think is just Tortal Recall. Thanks to all of you for listening, engaging with us. Thanks to our patrons on Patreon. Oh, you can Patreon us, also a verb. Um, <laughs> just search Patreon, Tortal Recall. I think that's how it works. Um, I think it's patreon.com slash Tortal Recall. Perfect. Thanks, Abby. <laughs> we have some fun bonus content up there. But otherwise, I think that's all for this episode folks. Yeah. Okay, I'll just do it and put it <laughs> over misery. <laughs> See ya, Tortellini.